Hello, Syngap land. My name is Michael Guralia, and this is Syngap 10, your 10-minute weekly update in the form of a podcast available everywhere um, about all things Syngap-related. It's my chance to give the parents and families of Syngapians an update and all those stakeholders who are, who are paying attention to our community. I've recorded this twice today and it just didn't quite feel right, so I'm going to take another angle with this one, go a little off script. Um, first of all, I want to thank Disorder, the Rare Disease Channel, which if you have Roku or Amazon Fire, you should subscribe to because they're awesome. And they just put up a list of all the rare disease podcasts that they really like, and they included us, which is pretty funny because this is episode nine, we're in like the third month. But we appreciate the recognition, and um, I hope this is being helpful to you as families. I, I think it might be because I'm hearing from a lot of families, and I love that. I love that. Um, and I want to just use this podcast to reflect on some of those conversations, right? So I had one parent reach out to me and say, you know, Mike, we haven't really chatted and I was diagnosed last year and I've been watching you guys and I want to talk about it. And this was a parent of an adult Syngapian. And that was such a lovely conversation. And as a result of that conversation, we actually created a, a, a private group um, for all the parents of adults to talk to each other. Because really, if you're on the main Facebook group, our, our US community, North America, um, the conversation's a lot about kids and IEPs and, and, you know, all those different things that we as parents of young kids talk about. But there is a group, and it's actually larger than I realized when I put them all together, of parents of adults and Gappians. And so we have a lot to learn from that group, and it was lovely to connect with that parent. And I'm so grateful um, that she reached out. So thanks for that. And then I also had a couple other parents reach out this week, and they said, hey, we love what you guys are doing. We want to do a fundraiser. I need your EIN or whatever. I need a presentation for my job. And those were great conversations. Like the, the part of this job that I love, one of the many parts of this job that I love is that I get to talk to families all the time. So please, if you're sending me a note or a messenger or whatever you're sending me, don't start it with, I'm sorry to bother you. I, hearing from other families is the best part of this job for me and I love it and thank you so, so very much. Uh, the other thing I did in the past two weeks was talk to five five, one, two, three, four, five new families in two weeks. At that rate, it would be another hundred families in the U.S. in a year. It's bananas right now. And these are always interesting conversations because I'm, I'm curious to hear about how they got diagnosed and how they're performing and what's going on. And, and the parents are just overwhelmed. They're processing all this stuff and they're asking me all these questions. But it's another part of my job that I really love. And so good news, uh, five new families in the past two weeks. And hey, guess what? They're signing up for Citizen. Yes! Citizen continues to be the largest and best data set for Syngapians. And um, we blew past 100 pathogenics this week. So what that means is, because you've heard me use bigger numbers, 108 people signed up for Citizen. Well, they did, but some of them are variants of uncertain significance, which means we think the variant, which means we're not sure if the variant is causing disease. Whereas everyone who's, who's in this 100 that I'm saying has a pathogenic or likely pathogenic mutation confirmed by a genetic counselor and someone's read the report, et cetera. And that's really cool that we have all that data in one place, normalized and standardized and de-identified or anonymized, so that when researchers want it, they can get it for free. Yeah, so if you're a researcher, if you're a postdoc, whatever, and you want to study Syngapians, guess what? We have a ton of data and it's available to you right now. And, and we just did the second cohort of 50. So we buy cohorts of 50 from citizens. So the second one's just filled up and now we're going to start filling the third one. Hey, international people, by which I mean English-speaking international. So if your records are in English and you're not in the U.S., we're about to be able to start to take your um, your records. Citizen is about to be able to start to take them. So GDPR, et cetera, compliant servers and everything's cool for international. And if you've got your records, you can upload them and get your precious Syngapians, precious data into the set 
that will inform lots and lots of research and, and, and therapeutic development. So super exciting. And I'm just thrilled um, with how things are going. I want to do a quick webinar commercial, and then I want to answer one important question that I got this week. Webinar commercial. This week, we had a great webinar with Lori Unum, who's basically the, the force behind why your ABA is covered by insurance in America. It's an incredible webinar about advocacy. It's an important recent history on autism and ABA. And if you haven't seen it, um, just it'll be on our website under webinars pretty soon. It's already on Facebook Live. Really incredible. Really incredible story. And next week, um, Professor Kurt Haas from the University of British Columbia will be talking about missense variants and, and, and uh, functional assessment of missense variants in SYNGAP1. And if that sounded like nothing to you, you're probably just not a scientist, but you should still go because it's a super important topic. So in our community, um, how far do I want to go down this road? Not very far. A, a number of patients, about 10% of the patients in Citizen, and then a large number of the buses have missense mutations, which means instead of being a truncated variant, right? We all have two copies of every gene, one from mom, one from dad. One of those copies has a typo, therefore there's a mutation. Most of those mutations, frame shift or nonsense, result in the allele or the copy of the gene being too short. As a result, the body looks at it, says that doesn't work, spits it out. People with missense mutations have a, not a truncated mutation, but a, a, a missense, a, a misformed one. I'm really simplifying. This is not medical advice. I'm not a geneticist, whatever. But if you have a missense mutation, we're, we think the body looks at it, chews it up, and spits it out, but we're not 100% sure. And many of the therapies that we're supporting and driving right now are involved in making the good copy of the gene work harder. Because that way, we won't have to make every single kid a special therapy, right? We can just get one therapy that'll go into all kids and make the, the Syngap work harder and make twice as much. So the good copy will fill the need and the bad copy will just make more of the stuff that spit out. So really understanding those missense variants and being sure that they are um, subject to nonsense mediated decay is, is really important, or at least knowing that they're not doing anything harmful. And, and so Kurt Haas's webinar next week is a must, especially if you're, if you're a missense parent, do not miss that. If you're not a missense parent, it's still going to be really fascinating stuff. And this brings me to a super important question I got from um, a parent in the UK this week. And it was, uh, it was, I was, first of all, I was thrilled that anyone in the UK is watching this. It was really exciting about it. But the question's important. And it was like this, hey, there's another mom of another disease here in the UK and the NHS won't spend the million pound on the disease for her kid. So she's trying to raise a million pounds to go over to the US to pay for it there. Is that gonna happen to us? Like we hear that you guys are working on this therapy, but I'm worried that my kid won't be able to get the drug or won't be able to afford the drug or the NHS won't pay for the drug. What's gonna happen? It's a great question. It's a great question. And I'm gonna try to answer it in 90 seconds or less with a, I'm pretty sure you're okay. And here's what I mean by that. First of all, if you're gonna get stuck with a rare genetic neurohaploinsufficiency, you, you're lucky to have Syngap. We have good science. We're very similar to Dravet, which is already doing a lot of groundbreaking work, but our seizures are less terrible than theirs. Thank God. And there's a tremendous amount of good science, and there are some great um, patient advocates, like the board of SRF, for instance, SRF UK, SRF US, and SRF Latin America, who are working really hard to prepare and organize our community for exactly what you're worried about, right? So fast forward two or three years, some company has a drug that, as I just explained, makes the good copy, the wild type copy of the Syngap 
gene, work harder and make more. And that costs what? I don't know, big number. And the, and, and the insurers in the US or the NHS in the UK or the private insurers in the UK, geography independent, all go, whoa, that's a big number. Are you sure about that? And so our question is, who's going to pay for this? Will only rich people have access to this drug? And I, I don't think so. I think it's going to be paid for by insurance because number one, it's going to be one of many genetic therapies at that time. So this pricing battle is not one we have to fight alone. Number two, because our, we are haploinsufficient, because our kids have one good copy of the gene, we can make one therapy for all our kids. See the thing about missense and why that's important. Will they qualify, right? So, but for the frame shifts and the nonsense, certainly they would qualify for this upregulation drug. So the big chunk of our population could be treated by one therapy. So there's, there's some economies of scale there. And remember last episode of Syngap 10, I talked about the ICD-10 code and I was jumping out of my skin. I was so excited about it. That's gonna help us find more patients. So it's great that we're organized as a, as, a, as a group of advocates who are engaged in supporting each other, but there's more families out there who have this diagnosis that aren't engaged. And the ICD code will help us find them, will help the system find them all and let them know they're available for, for therapy. So we've got numbers, we've got organization, We've got good science. We've got Dravet and other neuroapplinsufficiencies doing this work too. So I really honestly, sincerely believe that when these therapies are developed, there will be a reasonable price and a reasonable argument around why that price makes sense. Because the ICD code will allow, I did talk about this in the last one, will allow us to demonstrate that our kids are expensive. And remember the Karen movie, our kids are gonna last a long time. Take what our kids cost the system in one year, multiply it by the next 60 years of their life and ask the NHS, is X thousand pound really that expensive for this drug to avoid all of that? Oh, it's pretty interesting. So thanks for asking me that question. Keep the questions coming, but I think we have every reason to be hopeful if we continue to work together, stay organized and collaborate to improve the future of our kids. Thanks for everything, guys. It is my privilege to do this work and I'm so glad you're listening. Bye.